Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. You know, what running parallels is that, you know, you're going to have some great runs and you're going to also have some runs. They're going to be, I mean, they're going to be painful and, and you're not going to want to do it, but you're going to have to figure it out. And that's the other side of life that, you know, where do you land after you trip up, after you fall, after you fail, you know, do you fail backwards or do you fail forward? Welcome to the award-winning Champions Mojo, hosted by two world record-holding athletes and health, life, and leadership coaches. Be inspired as you listen to Conversations with Champions. And now, your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And as usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hey, Maria. Hey, Kelly. It's great to see you today. It's great to see you. And today we have the privilege of talking with Desmond Dunham, or as he's known to many, Coach Des. Let's say hi to him before we introduce him. Hey, Coach Des. Hi, Coach. Hey, how are you all? Thanks for having me. Great, great. We're we're, we're thrilled. We're thrilled to have you. So um, Coach Desmond Dunham is a nationally renowned running coach, mentor, Under Armour coach ambassador, and the author of the newly released book, Running Against the Odds, which is an inspirational book that shares how Desmond became the man of his household at age 11, how finding cross-country running helped him change the trajectory of his own life, how a race put him in the back of an ambulance, and how traveling to South Africa, he felt himself stepping into his own life and power and much more. I can't wait, Maria. What else can you tell us about Coach Des? Yes, Coach Des is a nationally acclaimed track and field and cross-country coach who's been teaching, mentoring, and coaching in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area for over two decades. He's also the founder of Kids Elite Sports, which offers summer sports camp and youth sports training. This camp has impacted nearly 800 youngsters and has hired and trained nearly 500 high school and college camp counselors. And today we're going to talk with him about his journey to becoming one of the best coaches in America, his new book, and how he became the best version of himself. And now we can too. So Coach Des, welcome to Champions Mojo. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, and Kelly, I just picked up your book. And so I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. Yes. Thank you. It's a great book. I can highly recommend it. Keep it by your bed. Maria has a book coming out in December called Do Tough. So we got three authors here. All right. Uh, All right. So, I love so it. I love it. Be a next one. Well, welcome. And so let's start off right there with your book, which I can't wait to get. I have not had the chance to read it yet because literally it just came out. So I'm looking forward to that. But tell us uh, why you wanted to share your story in this book against running against the odds. Yeah, it, it, it was, well, at first it was an arduous task, as I'm sure you can account to. It took about a year and a half, but, you know, I really thought that it was important for me to expand my reach in terms of just inspiring others. And I'll never forget sharing a, a story. It was one of my challenges to uh, a group of my runners. And when we finished up, I mean, they were, I mean, eyes were, you know, pupils, pupils were, di- were dilated and they were just locked in and, and, and you could just see that they were, were super uh, uh, inspired and, 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 and motivated. And, and one of the runners uh, stuck around afterwards. And the first thing she said was, you know, Coach Dunham, you need to write a book one day. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there's so many people that need to hear these stories. And, and I, you know, and I realized that it was those challenging moments that I shared that were relatable um, in some form or fashion to my student athletes. And so I really wanted to uh, take the time. Um, I made the decision about eight years ago. So I, I always had it on the shelf that I wanted to accomplish it. And, and then when the pandemic hit, you know, we were kind of twiddling our thumbs the first six months. So I, I'm thinking, okay, I'll write this book in about six months. And <laughs> it took a year and six months. And a lot of four or 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, lonely sessions, writing sessions. I'm sure you all can relate to that. And so, um, I, you know, I just want to expand my reach. And, and, and if I can, you know, change someone else's life and inspire someone else's life, uh, you know, through uh, writing a book, um, I, I, you know, I, I would be elated to, to be able to connect with others. I mean, and I also would, would love to just leave my legacy, leave my legacy for my family and my community and, and, and just, you know, my grandmother always said, you know, make sure you leave the place better than you found it. And, and I want to leave this world better than I found it. And I'm hoping this book can, can, can add some value to that. That's great. I, I got to hear the answer to the question that Kelly opened with in her interview about what happened when you were 11 and and your young life. Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, you know, really unfortunate with some of the things that I dealt with at, a, at an early age. You know, my, my dad was a Vietnam vet and um, he was responsible for removing wounded so- soldiers. And, and unfortunately, some some soldiers that were, were um, you know, uh, killed in, in the line of duty. And so when he returned home, you know, he, he just wasn't the same. You know, he suffered PTSD, and uh, quite often a lot of our veterans um, do not uh, receive the mental health treatment that, that's needed. Um, they fight for our country and, you know, and they give us our freedom and, and ensure that we can have, you know, just, um, you know, just some simple things in life that we often take for granted. And so, unfortunately, my dad brought these demons home with them. And, um, and he started to pick up the bottle and then he started to abuse alcohol and became an alcoholic. And um, that led to a really tumultuous relationship between he and my mother and uh, my sister and I witnessed a lot of abuse. Um, we witnessed, you know, just, I mean, just the nerve wracking feeling of coming into our home at times. And, and when your home is supposed to be this safe haven and this place of comfort, it, it was quite the opposite at times. And so my mother finally divorced him. I mean, my sister and I, we were ready to move out at eight and nine years old because it was just too much for us to handle and to wrap our heads around. But um, my mother finally divorced him uh, when I was 11 years old. And I'll never forget when my uncle put his hand on my shoulder and said, hey, um, you, you're going to have to step up. You're, you're the man of the house. And I, that wasn't something I was prepared for. And although I knew that was better for us long term, it, it really sunk in uh, once my, my uncle shared those words with me. And, um, and it was time to, to try to do some things to protect my house and my mother and my sister. And, and um, I have a couple of um, you know, stories and, and running against the odds of, of what that experience was like. And, and so it, it, it definitely pushed me towards that manhood a lot sooner than I had hoped and anticipated. Is that where 
running came into your life to get you away from that? Tell us about how running saved you. Yeah. If we back up just a little bit more, you know, school was always just, I mean, it was great for me in my initial years of school. I, I finally remember kindergarten, first grade. Um, but then something, you know, abrupt happened where I began to be pulled out of my, um, my classes where I was uh, dealing with a speech impediment. And, you know, during that time, it wasn't, you know, always accepted by your peers and mm-hmm. you were different and they let me know that I was different. And then also I dealt with um, having dyslexia. And so that was another hurdle. So school wasn't as fun for me. And it wasn't because I didn't want it to be fun. It was because um, these disabilities were not properly identified. And, and unfortunately, your, your peers <laughs> um, can be very <laughs> harsh at times. And, and so fast forward, I ended up being cut from the, my elementary basketball team. Then I was cut again from my middle school basketball team. I was even cut from cross country in middle school. And so I had a really sour taste in my mouth. Now, I thought I was going to be the next Michael Jordan, and, but I was the only one who thought that. So, and so I was told that if I wanted to play high school ball, that I had to go out for either cross country or football. And I was about 120 pounds. So I wasn't going out for anyone's football team. Um, I went out for cross country. And it was late in the summer, right upon when the season was about to begin. And my high school uh, coach, we call him Chief, um, said to me, hey, it's late. Um, If you can make it through this practice today, we'll keep you. If not, you'll have to come back out next season. So it was a a tryout. It was a one-day tryout. I ended up having to run eight miles. Now, (laughs) it was at a pedestrian pace. I will, you know, just for the record. But somehow I was able to just will my way through. And, you know, it was the tough times that I had prior to, you know, with being cut from other sports, my, my home life and, and everything else that I just harnessed and put into that tryout. Um, and who would have known that that tryout changed the entire trajectory of my entire life? My high school coach became a father figure. I mean, he was right what I needed um, at the time. I was not making the best decisions. And, and again, school was not fun for me. So I wasn't, you know, as focused as I needed to be. And so it was the brotherhood, the culture. Um, and it was also this sick feeling that I had that it was one of the most exhilarating and rewarding um, experiences that I had in that first practice and also in that first week. And I knew it was something different about running at that time that didn't, that it, it, it just, it was much of a more robust experience than playing basketball or baseball. And I love those sports, but it was just those intrinsic rewards that I got from it. And from that point on, I just wanted more and more. I wanted to feel that reward. I wanted to, and I didn't know at the time, but of course, you know, you get your endorphins going, your serotonin going and all the other good hormones going. And, and it, it, it just, it became this outlet for me to, to be at practice or to be running on my own from that day on. That's a beautiful description of discovering running and what it can do for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about 
when you realized that you had a special gift for inspiring others, especially youngsters? Definitely. Um, it started when I was in college, when um, I took a few of my resident, I was a RA resident assistant. So I was over a floor and we had to do projects. So one of the projects, we went to a local elementary school and about five of us, and we tutored at the school and we started tutoring on a daily, on a weekly basis. And then it became daily. Then towards the end of the school year, um, I had a conversation with the principal and she she informed me that they were actually losing their funding. Um, and she was really saddened by the news. Tears were streaming down her face. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what, what can I do that can you know, continue to help you know, this school? It was in the Howard University community. And so I felt some type of ownership to it. So fast forward a year later, um, I met a young lady who became my right-hand person. She was over all the operations. She later became my wife, <laughs> um, Jamie. And a year after that date, um, we had over 100 students that were volunteering as tutors, as um, special help to teachers. We were running their entire foreign language departments, music department. And so when I say that this was a feeling that I had never, ever experienced before, connecting with my community, connecting with my youth, it began to change my life. And so I knew it was something special about this tutorial mentorship experience. Um, and I thought I was going to medical school. I had all my pre-med requirements. I had done biomedical research and I had a conversation with my mother after I took a gap year to figure out what was it I wanted to do. Um, I started teaching physics and chemistry at a local high school, and that was supposed to be for a one-year stint. Towards the end of the school year, I had a conversation with my mother, and she was so supportive to say, look, I don't care what you do. I want you to love it. I want you to have the passion for it, and I want you to be the best at whatever you do. And I truly heard those words. All right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to make a living with it. And I'm going to have to make sure that I'm the best at whatever I do. And that was my best, you know, not, you know, by anyone else's standards or comparing to anyone else, but staying in my lane to be the best that I could be. And, and I'm thankful that my mother was supportive of that. Gosh, what a great mother. That's yeah. really beautiful. Cause and what a, lot, a great you know, story. Yeah. Great story. And, you know, a lot of parents will just say, oh, be a doctor, be a lawyer. And our family yeah. was be a doctor, which was <laughs> definitely oh, not a, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. We had, we yeah. had, we had yeah. the doctor wall literally in our house. So still, if you were a doctor, you're on the wall and, you know, it's like definitely. Um, so it. it's yeah. wonderful. In I fact, we just did last, last week, I think it's coming out the week before we just did uh, the last show on finding your purpose and living it. And that wow. really yes. gives you that, that power. So yeah. this is like, you, you came into this kind of your, your purpose through finding your own passion for running. Yes. And, you know, all of us here on the podcast, we're all runners, but tell us how this book can relate to both runners and non-runners. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. 
Um, I do want to say for the record, I have a love-hate relationship with running. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, do you me still too. run? Do you still I, run? I, I run about 40, uh, about 40-ish miles a week now. Oh, my God. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. So I, um, I, I, I mean, it still plays a significant role for me in my life where um, it just allows me to, I mean, it allows me to have a much higher output, my energy right. level. Um, it also sheds layers and layers of stress. Um, sometimes I come home, I'm a little cranky and uh, my wife says, um, you need to go out for a run <laughs> because yeah. I, I mean, I am a different person after I can get that run in. I, I put my headphones on. I have my various playlists, you know, it depends on what type of mood I'm in from, you know, my hip hop to my cold play to Sade or, you know, so I mix it up a little bit and, and, um, I just feel like a different person when it's, so I do my best thinking when I'm running. Um, so I, I hats off to this, you know, relationship that I have with running. <laughs> and I always tell my athletes, you know, when I used to run over 100 miles a week um, when I was competing competitively um, in, in college, um, you know, I, I would always say to them, I only wanted to really do about 30 to 40 of those miles. And the other 60 to 70 was surely driven by my goals, um, you know, it, you got, you have your goal, a goal without a plan is only a wish. And you have to put that, that plan in action. And so, but yeah, back to your, your, your question. Um, you know, one thing about the book, it has a great cadence to it. And um, there's a lot of stories within the book that becomes lessons that becomes, you know, very, very relatable and applicable to um, seeing yourself in other adverse situations. I mean, there's a real humanitarian side of the book that I think that, ev that everyone can relate to it, whether they're a runner or not. Um, running is used as a metaphor in a lot of situations. I mean, you know, we all, again, want to live this life where, you know, we're safe, we're comfortable, um, you know, we you know, don't have any friction, but you, you all know that that's the farthest from the truth. And, you know, what running parallels is that, you know, you're going to have some great runs and you're going to also have some runs. They're going to be, I mean, they're going to be painful and, and you're not going to want to do it, but you're going to have to figure it out. And that's the other side of life that, you know, wh where do you land after you trip up, after you fall, after you fail, you know, do you fail backwards or do you fail forward? And um, and I think that there's just so many life lessons that are associated with running and also, you know, your aerobic sports in general. Um, and so it's, it's always, you know, great to have, you know, that, that some type of outlet that's going to get your juices and hormones flowing. And so, yes. So there seems to be a important humanitarian sort of element to your life and to your, I don't, I don't know if it's in the book as well as like you want to serve apparently. Um, tell me the importance of that for everybody and how you learned that. So I, you know, I always say that if you're not making someone else's life better, I mean, you're really not living, you know, your full calling in life. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we're taught me, me, me in life. And it's really about we, you know, just this circle of life that, you know, everything centers around people. And you're, you're happiest when you are around the right people or you're, you're, you know, helping the right people. 
um, you know, energy can't be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, are you transferring positive energy into the universe to others? Um, you know, sometimes you got to audit your circle in life and ask yourself, do you have the right people around you that you're going to live out your passion and purpose in life and they're going to be supportive of that? After 25 years in the, in the world of coaching and education, I, I feel like I've learned a lot, but there's so many lessons that we learn in just everyday life that 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 becomes, you know, essential for happier living. And if you don't want to pass that on to someone else, I mean, I mean, to be honest, shame on you, um, because we're, we're here to help others and we're here to be a community. And, you know, I just think that that's that should be the calling for, for every human being. And did you. Is that like running where sometimes it's hard and sometimes it feels great <laughs> or is exactly. it, you know, and did you learn that from someone or did you just figure, Hey, it really, like you just, you told that beautiful story about helping people in your community. Did you just discover then, Hey, this feels good to do good. Yeah. I mean, so, you, you know, on, I, I'm on the other end of the spectrum with some things with my dad and, and even writing this book, it, it really has um, uncovered some things for myself that, there were some things that were still there. And so I knew what it felt like to not have a parent that you could count on, that you can trust, um, that showed you some things that, you know, that were so premature in life. And so I've always had that kind of park and harbor within me. And somehow, you know, I wanted to take that and to flip it, you know, to you know, either I can harness, you know, and hold on to this pain and make life, you know, more painful for others because that's what I witness and learn. Or I can take it and say that, you know, unfortunately, thanks, Dad, because you showed me, you know, how I don't want to ever treat someone. And that if I knew it was painful for me, um, I want to be as far as, as far away from that as possible in terms of making other people feel that way. So I feel like um, I've super compensated for the things that I have been in, gone through. And now I am, you know, I'm, I wanna be known as one of the most dependable people. I wanna be known as someone you can count on, someone that inspires. Um, I mean, it's just, I'm addicted to it. It's, it's such a great feeling. I don't know how I mean, this is why you all do what you do, um, because I'm sure you, you relate to some of the same things. And 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 again, that's one reason I'm excited to be connecting with you all today, helping people live out their purpose and passion and inspire folks to get through hard moments, which we all are going to go through. No human being is immune to any problems or issues. And if there is someone, I would love to meet them. <laughs> And it's up to us to, you know, to, to, to help lift people up so that they can, you know, just experience happiness in life. Gosh, I, I think that is, that's so powerful to know. I, th- I don't know what that, what, what we would call that coach, but I, I feel like there are anti heroes in our life. Like yeah. your, your dad, you look, you watched him and you said, I don't want to be like that. I want to go this other way. Um, my, me going into division one head coach, I didn't know if I could be a division one head coach, but I did a graduate assistantship under a D one head coach who was doing everything wrong in my opinion. And I said, 
you know what, if that coach can do it, I can do it. Like, so, so it's kind of like, we, you know, we often ask people who was a big influence in your life. And you think maybe it's somebody you positive, but we do have these negative influencers, which change the trajectory of our life. So I love that story mm-hmm. as just something different. And, and you had a different upbringing, which could you tell us what it was like growing up in Gary, Indiana and how that shaped you? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Gary was a tale of two cities. I mean, I absolutely loved my childhood. Um, often played games. We called them sandlot games. Um, we used to come up with our own teams and tournaments. I mean, we were super serious about it. And so I was very well connected with, you know, just all the guys in the neighborhood. And, and I also played little league baseball where one of my best friends, dad was the, the coach of that team. And so it was just a lot of fond memories, but at the same time, um, there was a great migration in the sixties and before to Gary for the, for the steel industry. And then the steel industry started to decline in the eighties. And as a result of that, Gary became the homicide capital of the U S. And so we had a lot of things happening around us, you know, very high, you know, drug rate, very high unemployment, educational uh, systems began to decline. There was a lot of redlining and rezoning. Um, so property values, you know, also went down. And then, you know, homicides also began to, you know, move up. Gains were moving up. And so, I, again, running at the right time kept me on a very narrow path. And, and I'm also very fortunate, too, where my family, you know, outside of my dad played a significant role. I mean, we do family reunions now and we'll easily have 200 family members, you know, at a fam- family reunion. And that's on my dad's side as well as my mother's side. And Gary? Well, we, we move it around. So um, I've, I've hosted in D.C. and um, and but we Gary is the staple area. We, we have family in Chicago, Detroit. Um, Alabama. And then, so if you live in a, in a city or state, you can, you're eligible to host, mm-hmm. but you have to come with it. You have to <laughs> make sure everything is, you know, uh, buttoned up really tightly and, and that, that, that you know what, what you're, you're doing in terms of putting that, you know, agenda together and making sure everyone has a great time. Um, and then also just, you know, um, and I failed to mention this earlier, and, and, but my mother was just, I mean, played such a significant role. And I think that with the combination of my high school coach and then also seeing the hard work and sacrifices that my mother made, I mean, she often would work 24 to 28 hour shifts at work. She would literally sleep in the break room during her break time just so she can pick up extra shifts for my sister and I you know, just to make sure we had everything we needed. And so seeing the sacrifices that she made when she dropped me off in college, she, you know, again, she said, you're not coming back home. And, <laughs> and, and I knew what she meant by that, that I can love Gary. I can give back to Gary, which I do. And, um, but I didn't need to physically be there because there were too many distractions, you know, in, in the city. So, yeah, I mean, Gary is a tale of two cities for me. I, I still love it to this day. I'm 
very thankful for my childhood in many ways. And, um, but, you know, so unfortunate that some other of my friends didn't get the same opportunities. They didn't find that sport or that father figure and, um, and, and life changed for them, you know, for, for the worse. And, and those are things that I always, you know, just kind of reflect on how blessed I am and, and how can I, you know, help the next person. Tell us about South Africa. I was very fortunate to do an exchange program to South Africa um, when I was in my fifth year um, of undergrad. So I did the five-year special for undergrad. And, and, and I remember going to South Africa where I was a bit, I was a bit down and out. I was a bit depressed. Um, and one of the reasons um, I had just finished about three months maybe four months prior, I had competed at our, um, our conference championships. And competing at the conference championships, two weeks before the championships, I was diagnosed with bronchitis. Oh, no. And the doctor, I mean, told me, your season is over. This is a bad case of bronchitis. You can really harm yourself. I didn't carry the news back to my... <laughs> coach, of course, he thought I just had a, a bad cold, took a few days off and I just kind of dibbled and dabbled. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty um, challenging to try to navigate. But by that time, I was the captain of the team. I was the number one runner. I have been putting in hundreds and hundreds of weekly mileage. Um, and so fast forward to the actual championship meet. Um, it didn't work out how I had planned. I was coming in as a top seed. Um, I ended up just struggling the last couple of miles. And, you know, there's a scene in the book about this. And, and I, mean, I, I was just concerned about my teammates. I wanted to just give them the best chance and best opportunity. I didn't want to let them down. Um, I collapsed at the line. Next thing you know, I'm in the back of an ambulance. Um, and I was later diagnosed as uh, developing pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up in the back of an ambulance. And so needless to say that um, this is where I and how I finished my college career. Um, I finished my high school career with a stress fracture. And then now I finishing my college career with catching pneumonia. And so... I became, you know, really, um, you know, depressed as a result of one. I mean, my running career was pretty much over. Two, I didn't, you know, get those honors that I was shooting for, and um, and I just felt like, you know, the world was against me at that. It was really lonely at the time, and it wasn't until I got to South Africa um, that, you know, I stepped foot into the Soweto townships where apartheid had just recently ended. And, you know, seeing homes that were 300, 400 square square feet, you know, there were, you know, holes in the ceiling. If you wanted to use the restroom, you had to travel a quarter of a mile to use the restroom. You know, all the roads were dirt and gravel. Even the floors in the homes were dirt and gravel. And it was, one of the most humbling experiences 
And one thing I really appreciated was that the community somehow still rallied around apartheid to keep this spirit alive, you know, and here it was, um, I'm, com- I'm, I'm upset over, you know, a finish, you know, uh, when I was ill, um, didn't really give myself the benefit of the doubt. And that's where, you know, sometimes you got to cut it off about results. And it's all about, did I actually give, did I empty the tank? And I know that for a fact that I emptied the tank. Um, and it was just hard for me to deal with. But then when I get to South Africa, you know, in the Soweto townships, there are kids that will, would never or will never get an opportunity to join an organized team or to do daily running because of how unsafe it was um, or because they didn't have the shoes um, or the, just the proper you know, resources or apparel. And it really opened up my eyes to say, you know, Des, this is, this is not about you. You know, this is about, you know, you got to open up your eyes and realize your blessings. And, and it really just took me to a whole different, you know, mindset and playing field. Once I just saw a different part of the world that was going through something that was so unfair and barbaric. And, um, and so it, it, you know, unfortunately made me have so much more of an appreciation for, for myself, for others, and, and also just to see the bigger picture of what we're really called to do as teachers, as mentors, as, as people, that if, if we don't do it, then who else will? And, you know, we can't look at on the news and say, you know, that's unfortunate. You know, either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. There's really no in between. And there's a lot of safe players out there. And you got to ask yourself, what have you done to change someone else's life? You know, whether it's on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. And I think that's super important to ask yourself that question. Yeah. That was so inspiring. Very, very powerful. So in interest of your time, we want to respect your time. We have two more questions. The the second to last, the last question is always the same. And I'll let Maria ask that. What would you like your readers to take away from your book? If there were a couple of things. I would love for the readers just to take away some of the life uh, lessons. Um, you know, each chapter, it, 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 there's a theme to each chapter uh, with, with the lesson. And, and I think that one that sticks out and stands out the most is that, you know, adversity, you know, it, it can, I mean, it's a great thing sometimes and we never want to go through it, but we, we have to go through it. And sometimes we also have to let our kids go through it as mm-hmm. well. You know, so if you're that parent and you're a helicopter parent and you're always, you know, over your kid and not letting your kid fall. Um, I think it's super important that, you know, that we learn to take risk and also not be afraid to take those risks um, because taking that risk, you know, you fail sometimes, you fail often, and, but you can also fail forward. You know, there's a story that I tell about this ribbon. I thought in high school, I thought I was going to get in the top 10. I ended up 75th, got this ribbon. Well, you know, um, I'm going to 
cut the story a bit here, but I took that ribbon, put it next to my light switch. And every day I turned that light switch on and that ribbon reminded me that I needed to work harder, that I needed to sacrifice more. And it's that ribbon that led me to garnering a college, you know, running scholarship. It wasn't the trophies that I received. It wasn't the medals. Because when I was receiving the trophies and medals, I thought I was at maximum output. I thought I was doing everything I can do. And then when I got that ribbon um, from failing, you know, one of my goals. So, yes. So I, I put that ribbon next to my light switch and it reminded me of this sick and eerie feeling of failing. And, and then I really started to ask myself, am I maximizing, you know, my efforts. And I realized that, you know, some of those days I could have practiced a little harder. I could have gotten up a little early and did a little extra. I could have done my core. I could have. And I think that's so important that you have to keep asking yourself, what else could you do that's, you know, within reason, of course, um, that you can really maximize your abilities and talents. And that's the, that's the, you know, fortunate thing that we have these tools inside of us and we have this ability inside of us. We just sometimes have to get things to ignite us, to bring it out of us. And, and I think, you know, I know that in running against the odds, it, you know, will remind you of some of those things that we all have in us. You know, we, we're human beings, we're resilient. We are, you know, we're going to be okay from a lot of failures, but we just have to be what ready to fight that fight, you know, when the sun comes up the next day. Yeah, that's wonderful. You, what you learn from your failures is so much yeah. more important than the trophies. Okay, the last question is, what else? And is there anything else that we haven't asked that's important to say? So, well, I think that um, I'm going to be writing a second and a third book. <laughs> um, I don't know when that's going to happen, but um, just even writing this first book, um, I... You know, I so I started Kids Elite Sports because I thought that it was becoming a really intense with specialization at a very early age with a lot of our youth. And and don't get me wrong, there's you know this two percent um, um, population that they're born with it, they have a knack for it. But you know, we, we just want to make sure that we're teaching our kids the proper life lessons through sports, and we've kind of gotten away from that a bit. Um, you know, I believe in result, re results. I'm, I'm super competitive, but there's just things that come before you, you start talking about results. And, and I just think that championships are built um, as a result of effort. You know, championships are built as a byproduct of sheer dedication, of, of committing yourself, of making sacrifices, being a great team player, being coachable. And so, you know, Kids Elite Sports, with, you know, started with 10 kids eight years ago with this diversification over, over specialization model. It also, um, you know, has a lot of life lessons that are built into our curriculum um, during the summer camp. And now we service, you know, close to a thousand kids at four different sites during the summer. And, you know, the kids are eating this up because this is where they want to be. They, they, they want to be competitive. They want to, you know, appreciate sports, but it has to be rolled out the right way. And you have to make sure our kids are in the right environment that's going to keep pushing them 
to to be, you know, the best version of themselves and and learn how to just, you know, stick with something, even if it gets hard at times. And so um, that second book is going to be a parent's guide. Um, and and I, I do parents clinics now. I do coaching clinics and I just want to help to teach our parents and coaches, you know, how do you put together this model program where your kid is going to want to do sports for the rest of their entire life? You know, like you, Maria, you know, you're breaking records and you just started, you know, when you were in your 40s and Kelly is still, you know, just out here killing it. And we, we want all of our kids to um and even in adults, we want to remind everyone, you can find something that can be your passion, your outlet, that can give you a lot of fuel, you know, so that um, it can allow you to have maximum output in everything else that you do. And so I can't wait for this second book. Um, you know, I, I really want to have, you know, just a, a staple in the you know, parent and coaching community, just to help the guide to make sure that our kids are, 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 have the right seeds planted at an early age. That is, that's going to be a great book. So this first one, we really all need to get our hands on it. Running against the odds sounds fantastic. I can't wait. And uh, it's just been awesome. Learn awesome. so much. And Thanks, what a joy to be with you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're changing lives. And uh, we're glad to be a part of part of the journey. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. It's now time for the takeaways. Maria, you and I have heard the takeaways are the best part of the show. That's right, Kelly, because the takeaways are curated information, which is what we give to our clients when we coach them. If you would like to take your performance to the next level in health, life, or leadership, go to our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. Yes, just click on our coaching page and book there. We're looking forward to bringing out the champion in you. And now the takeaways. So Maria, Coach Desmond Dunham, Coach Des, as we know, what a what a what a fabulous, amazing humanitarian! Just such a, such a great interview. I, mm. I hope people listen to the entire show. And uh, he's got a great book coming. Or it's out, brand newly out, um, running against the odds. So what what is your first takeaway? Well, I, there's so much good stuff in there. His story is amazing. People should get and read the book. But I, I liked one of the things that he said that I, I that just really impressed me is, you know, he was a college graduate, he was, you know, thinking about medical school, could have gone to medical school. And, you know, he starts teaching in high school and he's, you know, he, he likes it and he's good at it. And I think, you know, it's tempting to do the thing that looks shiny and, and, um, and sort of, you know, being a doctor. So, you know, as you know, we just talked about in the show, there's the doctor wall in our family and so elevated in a lot of families and in the culture, but he decided to do what he, what he really wanted to do, what he knew he would be good at and the, and the thing that he knew could impact people. And I just think that's so important. You know, it's, there's not a lot of glory in teaching and coaching sometimes. And he did that because it was the right thing. And now he's been able to impact so many thousands of kids. So that really inspired me. To follow, follow your passion, even if it leads someplace that doesn't seem, you know, shiny, I guess. <laughs> yes, because the joy of every day waking up, being passionate about what right. you're doing right. is, is way worth tons of money. Right. It's just, it's everything. Right. My first takeaway uh, is, I, I know it's very simple, but a lot of people 
have goals without plans. So I loved his statement of a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so it it, it is really important. And I I think I might've referenced this before, but you know, there's the statement of, you know, if you want to own a boat, do you have, are you subscribe to a boating channel? Do you know about boats? Do you belong to a boating club? Do you know, what is your plan for how to get a boat? You know, like, so you need to, or whatever it is. I just, I don't even know why I picked a boat, but (laughs) yeah, please don't mention that. (laughs) Just, just, no, I don't want a boat. Um, (laughs) I I am not wanting a boat, but my point is something simple. You've got to have a plan. Right. And so I really love that. What was your, and it's okay. One? It's okay to have a wish. I mean, I think that's, yeah. it's fun to think about wish, things, but it's right. But don't call it a goal. Right. Yeah. And it's probably um, not going to come into fruition. Right. You right. Have a plan. Um, so I, I liked, you know, this is something we've talked about the show many, many times, but you know, he called it failing forward, which is just, you know, you learn so much more of course, from your failures, but the story of him coming in 75th, when he thought he was going to come in top 10 or top five, at an event and how that inspired him to change the way he worked out. And so it's really good to think about that. As he was talking, I was thinking about the times that I have failed and yeah. And, and it just, they, they kind of kick you in the butt and make you, you know, if you're serious, then it makes you, makes you better. So I, I love the idea of elevating failure as a way to become better and reminding ourselves, yeah, we're going to have failures. I had, you know, I think I told you I had a really bad workout the other day and I was it's just like, I felt so discouraged by it, but I thought, okay, what can I learn from it? What is my weakness that I need to work on here? Anyway. So I love yeah. forward. I think the theme of his whole life has been taking failures and turn, you know, taking right, turn. something bad and turning it into something, something good. good. And, and that brings me to my second takeaway, which is this anti-influencer. So someone that is doing something so opposite that it inspires you to go the other way. <laughs> no, that's and that, a great you know, one. that was his dad. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I think we see that and, you know, I'm going to say this, I can say it now, you know, rest in peace, mom, but um, seeing my mother be this full time hands on doing everything for us kids made me shy away from motherhood. Like mm-hmm. I don't want that life. Mm-hmm. That for me was, you know, why I'm child-free by choice. My mm-hmm. own beautiful, loving mother. It's crazy. Right. But right. that was an anti-influencer for me being a mother. It right. was also for me going into coaching. Right. I got to serve under a coach that was doing things that were so egregious and awful that I'm like, oh my gosh, if this guy can be a head coach, I can be a head coach. So <laughs> so I think that's taking, like, I like opening that. your eyes to things that you see that are wrong, that you want to change maybe right. in yourself, maybe in others, maybe in a profession. But, um, that was my second takeaway. There's so much, I can't yeah. wait to get the book, read and the Maria, book, watch the show. Yeah, it's just wonderful to, um, be able to do this with you every week. <laughs> love love you. you so much. Kelly. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. This week's quote of the week comes from Desmond Dunham. You can find something that can be your passion, your outlet, that can give you a lot of fuel so that you can have maximum output in everything else that you do. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media, and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.